Hey, everybody. I'm Jen Garrett. My passion for football and pushing boundaries has helped me to create a successful business using the same performance building principles of the world's best players. Through my Move the Ball book, workshops, and consulting work, I've used the same system to help thousands of people to think and execute like a pro athlete when it comes to business and branding. Now, I'm on a mission to help you utilize those tools and strategies to elevate your hustle and get you across the goal line. So get ready. It's time to suit up, to show up, and to move the ball. Hey, everyone. It's great to be back with you for another episode of Move the Ball. If this is your first time listening, welcome. And if you've been a part of the Move the Ball movement for quite some time, welcome back. I'm glad that you are here with us today. As you all know, on this podcast, we talk about business, branding, sports, and of course, how to move the ball. Now, a few things before we get into today's episode. First off, if you have not already done so, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode and also share the show with a few friends. It's one way that you can help me to move the ball. Go check out the show notes. I've got some links to a number of things there, including my TikTok since I'm a newer TikToker. Yes, I'm late to the game, but I'm there now. And there's also a link to the Move the Ball merchandise store so you can pick up some swag and rock that you're a part of the Move the Ball movement. And to those who have already picked up some gear and sent me some photos, keep those pics coming. I love posting y'all and together we move the ball. All right. For today's episode, I've got a fantastic guest with us, someone who has been around the sport of football for a long time as a player as well as a sports agent. Inside the huddle with us today and ready to talk about his journey, his experience and what he does to move the ball is John Thornton. John, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. How are you today? I am doing fantastic and I'm excited for us to chat. I appreciate you making time to join us. You know, we've been talking for a little bit now, a few months about having you on the show and I know you're always on the move. So I'm glad that we're making it happen. So let me just share a little bit about your bio for our listeners. John is a retired NFL defensive tackle who played college football at West Virginia and he was drafted by the Tennessee Titans in the second round of the 1999 NFL draft as the 52nd overall pick. In addition to playing four years with the Titans, John also played six seasons with the Cincinnati Bengals. Currently, John is a sports agent with Rock Nation Sports, and he currently is the co-head of their football division, along with Eric Burkhart and Kim Miali. Kim was on the show recently as well. And so we're going to talk about John's football career his journey to being a successful agent, and more on today's episode. All right, John, are you ready to move the ball? Yes, I'm ready. All right, let's go. So first off, speaking about always being on the move, I recently saw you out in Orange County. We were at Chargers training camp. So that was nice to run into you there. It was unplanned. So a neat treat. Hopefully you enjoyed uh, being out at the practice. It was hot. So it was, it was very, yes. you know, the heat out there is crazy. No, it's the first time I've been to Chargers camp since they moved. I've been to a few games in San Diego, and I think I went to a Packers game against the Chargers when they were playing at the Home Depot Center or whatever it was uh, when they first moved out there. But that's the first time I've been out to a camp. So that was cool to see that. And uh, I'm always a fan, so I like seeing the different players. But, you know, obviously going out to see my client was fun. For sure. And I mean, yeah, it was hot out there, but we were in the tent at least. So we were covered. So that was always a good time to be out there, practice with the fellas. So as a podcast host, I'm always thinking about what's the best way to kick off a conversation, to have an engaging dialogue. And there's so many places I could start us off today. You've got a great background. And on the podcast, we talk about business, we talk about branding and sports. So let's start us off with the sports side of your career. And something that I like to ask my guests is, I mean, you know that 
this whole move the ball movement started with me writing a book on football called move the ball. And I like to get players perspectives on some of the lessons that you've taken away from the game that have helped you to be successful outside of like a lot of people talk about the hard work, the teamwork, the discipline, and that's all important. But there's a lot of other lessons that I write about in move the ball. And I'm sure you've taken away from the game. So what are some of those lessons that you have just gleaned from the sport that you've always taken with you in your career? Ooh, that's a good question. I think the biggest thing is, you know, being a part of a team and football is the ultimate team game. And I know every sport says that, but football, you depend on everybody to be successful. You can have a great quarterback or a great offensive line and, and the running back doesn't hit the hole the right way. Or you can be a great running back and that, that left guard gets blown up and, and you keep getting tackled in the backfield. So Football is a sport where you start depending on everybody, special teams, coaching, you know, and all of the good teams that I've been on have been really solid. Didn't necessarily have the greatest players, but, you know, at the end of the day, you look back like, man, that team was good. We had really good players. But the teamwork part of it is what I've always enjoyed. So transferring and transitioning from football into my post-career I was always searching for a great team, you know, whether it's me and my partner, Charles, uh, when we had our own company or if it was partnering with different agencies and then ultimately getting into the agent space. It was always about being around good people, smart people and, and people that thought like me or, you know, people that didn't have egos. So that's what I took away from from being an athlete and playing at a high level was the, the good players play with the good people and they crave that. And that helps you become more successful. You look like, a, and I'm not comparing myself to Tom Brady, but a guy like Tom Brady, really, he strives to surround himself with a good team because he knows that that will, you know, push his legacy further. He's, he's never been the highest paid. He's never really went out there and tried to be the guy out in front of everything. He was like, hey, if I have a great team, we'll win. And if we win, I'll do better. So in business, you know, just where I am right now, 45 years old, Listen, I want to be with the smartest people, people that don't have the egos, people that like to work, and people that leave with good intentions. So I tell that to people all the time. You, you see players that get into all kinds of things when they're done playing. But to me, the best thing is to, to be around people that don't have the ego and that believe in teamwork. For sure. And I like there's a few things I like that you mentioned. One, they're not having an ego. That's very important. That's actually a chapter in the Move the Ball book. It's called Check Your Ego Both On and Off the Field. Because when you have people that are just generally good people that aren't focused on how great they are, but more on how they can contribute and help the team, that's when you really move the ball. And that's whether you're on the football field or in business, as you know. And so I like the fact that you talk about, you know, even post your career, you really looked at who can you align yourself with, you know, good teammates to really help propel you to where you're looking to go. That's big because in any kind of business, you're going to run into people that say they can help you or try to help you, what are their intentions, right? Even if it's not to hurt you or harm you, their intentions could be to do something that you're not even interested in, you know, but you're depending on them to help you get somewhere. So like I said, I always just kind of gravitated towards people that didn't have the ego that, you know, that just said, hey, they, they wanted to help and they helped. The same thing with me. If I help somebody, I'm a help and you're not looking for anything in return. So yeah, the ego part, yeah, you can have confidence. Confidence is needed. But the ego part is what I think hurts a lot of people because now it has to be about you or you have to get the credit or, you know, if we sign this player together, you're always trying to be out front. And so those are the things in my business now that is, is very important. And, and even players that are still playing, you know, you don't want the ego, you know, you want the confidence, but the ego part 
always seems to get us in trouble, and, and me included. I mean, at times, if I had a you know ego issue, you know, it's a, that's typically when I've I've gotten in trouble in, in sports and even in business. For sure, and I like that you said. I mean, confidence is important. We need to have that, but there is a difference between confidence and cockiness, right? And having that ego that you need to keep in check. You know, there's a lot of things that I want to talk with you about on the show. We, we talked a little bit about your being a, an agent now. We'll get into that. But before we go more into that, I want to run it back and talk about your time playing at West Virginia. So shout out to all the Mountaineers out there. I'm good friends with a number of them and some of the guys on the team currently. So I'm excited for this upcoming football season. Now you're from Philly. Coming out of high school, why did you choose West Virginia and what other schools were you considering? Well, yes, I'm from North Philadelphia. I uh, spent the first 11 years of my life there. And then I went away to a military school uh, in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania. It was a school called Scotland School for Veterans Children. And my dad was in service uh, back in the late 70s. So any person, man or woman, that served in the military and you lived in Pennsylvania, you you had an opportunity to send your kids to the school. It, it used to be an orphanage, but it, it, it stopped being that like in the 60s. So you know, my dad took me out there. I really liked it. I wanted to get out of North Philly. You know, it just wasn't a safe environment. I, I didn't think I could make it that way um, at a young age. I knew that. So I went to the school. It was about three hours away from home. Came home in the summertime or, you know, Christmas and Thanksgiving. But it was just a heavy, heavy, you know, we played sports. Our teams were good. Most of the people were from Philly. It was co-ed. So it was just like a mini college campus before I even got to college. So did that. And that was about two hours away from Morgantown. You know, it was sort of on that side of Pennsylvania, closer to Morgantown. So my roommate at that school was getting recruited by West Virginia. And that's how the coaches at West Virginia saw me. So at the time that I went there, West Virginia was undefeated in 1993. They played for the national championship. So that was an easy choice. You know, I just had to get them to to want to have me there. But Boston College was another school that offered me. I really considered going there. Tom Coughlin was there at the time. I think Pitt offered me. and Duke and Wake Forest, I believe, offered me. So I was the school I went to was the smallest school in the state. Like we literally were the smallest enrollment school in the state. We were class A. I had 21 kids in my class. So I didn't get recruited heavily because I don't think a lot of people came all the way out there to see us play. But that's how I got to West Virginia. It, it was my roommate that was an All-American year before me. He got all of the guys coming to see him. And then they kind of saw me. And uh, that's that's how I got to WVU. Gotcha. And also, I just want to give your dad a shout out. Thank you so much for his service. (laughs) My listeners, many of my listeners know that I'm still serving in the Army National Guard today. So always appreciate those that have served as well. So you're at West Virginia. What was your experience like playing there? It was great. It was a little easier for me because I already had been away at school. And, uh, you know, the coach that recruited me, uh, Bill Calabridge, he was telling me, like, you already have a leg up on most kids. As he said, you said you slept in the bed your mom didn't make, you know, whatever she didn't bake. You know, you're used to being on your own, right? Yeah. And and I did that. So I never really got homesick. And, and I started from the bottom because I, like I, said, I didn't come from this environment, this football factory. And I didn't have my parents at my games and all the way three hours away from home. So in high school, I was just really on my own with the rest of the kids. Um, and I saw my parents a lot, but they just didn't come to every game. That was just too much. You know, my family couldn't afford that. So uh, once I got to college, everything was new. I, I loved it. I took advantage of it. And, you know, having great coaches and playing with great players and uh, being on your own finally like that. I mean, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it. It was a great structure there. You know, it's a good town. It's, it's a college football town, the state. People in West Virginia are great and they treat you with respect. So I enjoyed it. 
and and I, I spent my five years there, and uh, you know, I had a whole lot of success personally and team wise. You know, we did well. So, and you ended up starting every game your last three seasons there. You were a defensive co-captain your senior year. What were some of the things that you were doing to really ensure your performance on the field, but also that you were a great leader for your team? Well, I would say probably. So my freshman year, I started first three games. The guy that I was playing behind, yeah, got suspended for. I think he wanted to come out uh, after his junior year. He signed with an agent, then quickly pulled it back, and they suspended him for three games back then. So I played early on, and uh, even my even my freshman year, I got redshirted. They were thinking about playing me, but they didn't. So no, it was it was great. It was it was really I I knew that the NFL. I never thought about it until like my probably my third year, my, my sophomore year, we had like the number one defense in the country. Uh, we started out seven and zero. we were top 10 team. And, and I was playing against guys that were going to the NFL and I was doing well. Um, so my mind, I was like, all right, I'm gonna come out after my junior year. So I went into my junior year thinking that I was going to come out and I didn't play well. I didn't play as well. And, and then when I came back from my senior year, it was like, all right, I got to do this. So I was really focused on that. I watched a lot of other teams. I was a fan. I was a fan of the draft. I was reading every college football magazine, listening to every talk show. Um, and even to this day, like I'm really consumed a lot of football. And like I said, in my mind, I knew that's what I was going to do. And I focused on it and I made it happen. So I, I did put in the work. I was, you know, I was like 300. On junior, I was 315, 315 pounds. You know, I was a big guy. So off the field matched the on the field and, and it just worked for me. I got lucky and, and, it, and it happened that way. Some guys focused on the NFL and don't make it. But for me, it was like I was doing it the right way and, and everything fell into place. And when you look back at your time at West Virginia, what was your most memorable experience about being a part of that program, being on that campus? Like, what do you take away from that experience? Just the history of school. I'm, a, I'm big on history of uh organizations like I remember you know and I know we'll talk about that but even in NFL I would like want to know what the teams did before I got there so I would really look at like a major Harris was you know I never I I did meet him multiple times but when I got there I didn't know him personally but you know I was like awesome and I would watch the old clips from the 80s and all these things so when I got to West Virginia that was really just being a part of it and then being a star player there um, you know, it just meant something too. So uh, I enjoyed my teammates, had great friends and uh, just, just the battle every day to try to be good. So it wasn't one win that I remember, you know, I remember them all, but it was the experience there that I don't know. I just got it. I understood it. And and now, you know, when I go see my son tomorrow or whatever, I'm a, uh, he plays there. I know we'll get into that, but when I, every time I go on campus, I have that feeling. And so I just knew it was a special place. It was a special place for me. And um, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it every day now. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned your son, Jalen, because I was just going to go there. So he's a redshirt junior at West Virginia. Now, the, the game of football has changed over the years. The business of professional football has changed. But college football has also changed. and It's becoming more and more of a business. I mean, it's been a business. But with NIL and things, it, the landscape is continuing to change. When you look at your son's experience at West Virginia versus yours, how has it been different? Um, I, I played a lot more, you know, he's, he's a backup there. Uh, he's playing behind some really good players. He's played behind their best players every year. Um, he's probably struggled a bit more to get on the field and it's fine because when I told him about, you know, choosing a college, I was like, Hey, choose a school that you'll go to. And if it doesn't work out in football or if it's not going the way that you want, you'll still be happy 
walking around campus. You'll be happy going to class and you'll want to get your degree and all these things. So, I mean, he definitely enjoys the football side. I mean, he plays, you know, on special teams and he's happy to run down on punt. Like he's one of these guys that it means something to him to be at West Virginia because it's a family school. You know, his mother went there. I went there. You know, all of my friends and his mom's friends went there. So it's it's a family thing. And, and he's proud of that. So no matter if he's playing or not, he feels, you know, great every day and he's graduating soon. And so he definitely enjoys, it, you know, but I would say our, the difference in our experience is that, you know, I played super early and then I was one of the key players on the team that way, just playing. But uh, outside of that, he's he's doing things off of the field with different committees. He's definitely a lot smarter than me. He's taking the educational route, which is probably better in the long run. So, you know, we always talk about that. And I always say, hey, man, yeah, you know, there'll be guys that'll play every down and may not make it to the NFL or they didn't focus on their education. Now they're, they got to come back and go to school when you're off in your career after football or they'll play in the NFL for a year and might not, you know, pan out. So it's, it's all these things. But I just tell him, listen, enjoy your experience, get your education and take advantage of things that, you know, even I didn't take advantage of. So he's doing that. And he's enjoying himself. And so when you say take advantage of things that uh, you haven't taken advantage of, what are some of those things that he's doing that uh, you think is good for? We have a lot of student athletes on the show and other you know, people in college listening. Like, what are some of the things that you think he's taking advantage of that you would encourage others to take advantage of? Like, I know that they have a student athlete committee and they represent, you know, West Virginia at Big 12 events and conferences. So he's always going somewhere. I know he was in Dallas a couple of weeks ago, uh, right after the Big 12 media days and they had the, the uh, this this group of students from each school and they come and they do events and they have uh, seminars and things like that so I mean I know that he probably has an opportunity to stay after he finishes school to do some things with, with his career you know I know he's been asked to do that so th- those are the things I think college players don't don't realize like when guys have a decision to go to NFL or come back sometimes if you come back it's really to enhance your legacy and you know to help your career. So it's not always about the football side. So he's doing things off of the field that I've never got into. I was just pretty much off football. But he's becoming a well-rounded person. And now when you're done, you you know, you graduate. Now you can, you know, talk to Shane Lyons, the AD, and say, hey, I would love to be like the front office side of things and get involved in that because he's a sports management major. So I think he's doing things like that, like smart things, you know, because those are things that are going to carry a lot longer than just being a star college football player. And then when you're done, you're done. For sure. And you made me think of this too, by being a part of these committees and traveling to events, what you're also doing is you're also increasing your ability to network with other people. So not just people at your university or in your circle, but other people. I do a lot of talks with student athletes as well as corporate professionals on like the need to network and how that network can lead to opportunities. Something you mentioned earlier in the show that I, I like too, was you talked about how you focus on just bringing value and serving other people, right? That's important too, when you're networking, it's not just about, hey, I want to network with you because what can you do for me? It's about building those relationships, mutually beneficial, serving other people, and those relationships will come back to you and, and bring opportunities when the time is right. And I think a lot of times people in general don't know how to hold conversations, especially with athletes. You know, you get so guarded and you, you get in your bubble and you have so many people doing things for you, and there's nothing wrong with it. But, you know, when you when you get out of that space, you got to be able to shake people's hands, and you got to be able to... And even if you're an athlete going to, a, a, you know, a function or a uh, banquet, 
you know, you got to shake hands with fans. It could be somebody that makes a lot of money. You don't know that. So everybody's not there to take advantage of you or everybody's not there to just kiss your ring and tell you how great you are. Like you have to go out and just be a normal person at times. So I think a lot of times with that kind of stuff, you know, especially when we're talking about my son, he's always been the type of kid that, you know, even in high school, you know, he was on committees that would welcome in new students. So he would take people around. So that type of attitude, I think even when you're an athlete, you can put those two together. Now you can, uh, you know, you have a resume to go out and like people want to be around you. You never know who's going to slip you their business card and say, hey, give me a call when you graduate. You know, I like I like your personality. Thank you for explaining this to me. Um, you know, I think I, I think you have a place here in my company. You know, those kind of things. You're not expecting that. But those are the things that happen because I know, a, you know, a whole lot of good partnerships start that way when, when people are not even going into it thinking that you can work together. For sure. And something I tell student athletes is, you know, you should leverage your brand as a as a student athlete, as a football player or whatever sport you're in to build your network and cultivate those relationships. So that way, when you are done and it's time to hang up those cleats in college and go in to the professional world, you've already built this network and you have relationships with people. And there might be someone that's ready to hire you because you've cultivated that relationship. Yeah. Or you can start your own business and you see people that you, you know, that you meet, like, you know, I want to work with that person. Or like I said, you always got to be open to collaborations or just open to whatever could hit you in life. And you got to know when to close that door as well. So, you know, I don't think there's anything wrong with being nice to people, you know, saying hello. And even if it's the one or two minutes that you give that person to see, you know, what type of personality they have, at least you're open and you're not, you're not being closed minded. I mean, I meet many athletes that you sit down and talk to them and they're just closed off, you know, or, or, or they want you to open them up and, and to, you know, they, they don't come into a meeting um, right way. And it's my job to sit there and talk to them, or open them up. But I was like, man, this would be a lot better if you, you just had a better attitude. Like I said, with my kids, I've always talked to them about that, you know, about, sitting up straight and talking to people, shaking their hand, smiling, you know, even if you're having a bad day. For sure. And I completely agree with, with what you said about having that open-mindedness to connect with people because you never know where those relationships could go. And is everybody going to be someone that you want to stay in touch with? No, maybe not. But if you're not open-minded, you're not going to find those good people that could be worth staying in touch with. Yeah. So let's go back to football and talking about your experience transitioning from West Virginia to the NFL. I mentioned when I read your bio that you were drafted second round. What was it like hearing that you were going to be a Titan getting that phone call? And then walk us through kind of like what your rookie mini camp through training camp experience was like. And then how has that changed? Like some of the, the rookies that you've had are Lewis Seen as well as uh, Zamir White in the current draft class. How is their process different than what you went through? Well, let me start off. Uh, remember, so you, you asked about mine. So with mine, it was, yeah, 99, you know, I was a senior, had did senior bowl combine. I think I did like two pro days. My agent didn't want me to keep running for the scouts, but I was like, oh, scouts are going me run. I just remember keep, I kept doing it open. And nowadays guys, they don't want to do anything. So I didn't care. But just that process, I knew I was one of the top guys. I was probably, I think after my sophomore year, I remember Mel Kuyper having me as like the second best defensive lineman in my class, you know, and that's why I was thinking I could leave early. But then coming back senior year, I think after my senior season, he had me as like a first rounder and then it kind of settled into the second. So uh, that whole process was fun. It, you know, it wasn't as much media attention given to it. No, no, nobody was at the combine that, that wasn't supposed to be there. You know, you didn't get the results. You had to go to some weird website to even see the rumors of what people were running. 
Um, so that that whole thing is different now. Everything is made for TV. It's harder to figure the teams out. So got drafted by the Titans. I didn't know anything about them. I didn't really interview with them. Uh, I didn't even know they were in Nashville. So they were just like, hey, was, tomorrow you got a flight. So I went down there and they, they drove me by the new stadium that we were going to. And then we went to, uh, I remember it was Frank. No, it wasn't Franklin. It was uh, Bellevue. Bellevue, Nashville is right outside of downtown. That's where our trailers were. We were in a trailer park. Like a trailer was where our meetings was, when our, where we ate. And we were at this little medical center where we showered and had a locker room. So everything was makeshift. And then in a couple of months, we were moving into the new facility. So that was fun. It was fun because that team had just moved from Houston. You know, in 96, they moved up to Nashville. And then they played in Memphis in 97. They played at Vanderbilt in 98. And, and then you just had all of these. And I didn't even know. I didn't know how good Steve McNair was. I mean, you, you heard a little bit about him. You heard about Eddie George. You know, guys like Blaine Bishop and Marcus Robertson and Kenny Holmes. And I got drafted with Javon Kirst. He was the first round pick. I was the second. And then Bruce Matthews in the offensive line. So we were loaded. Like this team was just, but we were tough and physical. So I came into this mix and I learned under Jeff Fisher and Greg Williams and Jim Schwartz and Jim Washburn, uh, Jerry Gray. It was just a lot of great coaches on that staff. So that 99 Titans team, you know, we ended up going to the Super Bowl, but I see why now. Like it was just a tough physical team and we beat everybody up. So coming into that, just taking that mentality on, you know, just about how hard we practiced and how hard we played. That was great for me. And, and like you said, now I think, you know, with the rookies, it's less work going on, right? It's, it's less grunt work. And everything is with white gloves on. Even when they practice, uh, they don't do two a days. And I'm fine. Like that stuff's cool. You got to evolve physically, but it's just less of a physical grind these days. And even with the process, you know, you know, the coaches were a lot tougher back then. Now they can't be. So I mean, I guess it's just evolution. Because I'm sure the guys before me, they were like, "Hey, you couldn't even get water at practice." You know, coaches would keep it from you if you weren't practicing well. And now we know that's a health risk. But back then, they wouldn't. It'll be out there for three hours with no water. So, I mean, everything changes, and, and I think they change for the better. But, um, you know, the guys now, definitely, the process is definitely made for TV. Um, and, and they're all good. That's one thing that doesn't change. Good players are good players, and they all have a, a great a great work ethic. For sure. And there are some players who aren't really familiar with, like, the business of the NFL as they begin that transition. And it's an, a real eye-opener. For them, that this is a business, it's very different than just playing football. There's other elements here at play. What are some of the things that you tell your guys like Lewis and like Zamir or other players as they were getting into the league about the business of the NFL and what things should they be mindful of? Well, you got to be careful what you consume, what you read, what you watch. That's just like me. When I watch a football game on Sundays, I rarely watch the pregame shows because what are they going to say that I don't? I mean, you might see a story on somebody that's interesting, right? To me, the game is the most important. That's the most fun. I don't want to hear somebody tell me who's going to win because most of the time they're wrong and, and things like that. But I, I cut out the noise. I tell the players to do the same thing, especially pre-draft. I remember when Andrew Thomas from the Giants, uh, you know, he declared he came out, you know, I represent him. Um, everyone had him as a top tackle, right? couple weeks later, it was like he was the second best. And then a month later, he was the fourth best. And you had, then one people, one person had him as the fifth. And sixth. I mean, it was just all this crazy stuff. And it was like, it would be another tackle drafted before him from Georgia. So it was just the whole pre-draft process. 
it, it just kept going down. And I'm like, hold on, you, you finished the season as the top guy. Now we get into this process and, and you're the fifth or fourth. And now you're going to be, a, you know, I think Todd McShay said it'd be the 29th pick. And, uh, and I just told Andrew, I said, listen, don't worry about this. I said, you, you know, you are a dominant player. You're going to go where you're supposed to go. You know, and he ended up going, being the fourth pick in the draft and being a top tackle out of that group. And rightfully so. He was the best one. And he had, you know, his character was top notch. His family was top notch. His play on the field was top notch. So those things work out. So you try to go into the process and you you just block out as much noise as you can because you're going to have to deal with a lot. And if you can, if you're worrying about what people are saying about you, what they're writing about you or what this mock draft says, it's going to be a long process. And it's already long enough, but it's going to be even longer if you're worrying about everything. So that's the advice I try to give. And I try to give them real information. You know, I don't really tell them where they're going because I don't know. You know, I didn't know Andrew was going fourth. I knew he was going top 14 picks, but I didn't know he was going fourth. So I can't come out here saying that. And you don't go fourth, you get upset. So try to really lower the expectations, but make sure you put in the work. And for the most part, I would say I haven't had a guy that, that didn't want to put in the work. And that's something I look for in my clients. Who, who's going to work? Who's not? Who's going to be a problem? When things don't go well. So um, that's how I try to bring value to the equation, just going through it myself. And then the agent side of it, just understanding how teams work, you know, when they bring you in for a visit, what does this mean? Or if something's supposed to be quiet and it gets out and it's not from us, it's from a team. Um, and I'm like, why did they put that out? Now, you know, like, oh, well, they're trying to run a smoke screen or that's not good. Or they might not be drafted. So it's a lot of things you can help a player with and the family just just so they understand and it's it's a more smooth process for them for sure and being someone who has been through the process of being a player had a 10-year career you've certainly been on the side of being a player and what it's like and then also being an agent you you understand that perspective so you definitely have a great experience set that you can pass on and, and wisdom that you can help your clients as they navigate through their process of getting to the league as well as you know playing in the league and extending their time hopefully in the yeah. league as well. Yeah, you want to stay there. I mean, it's, it's one thing to get there, another thing to stay there. You know, you know the average is three and a half years or whatever that is. It's there for a reason. You know, it's, it's a draft every year. And I tell guys, it's a draft every single year. You know, and, and no team has a help one assigned, right? They're full, pretty much. So when you come in, somebody goes. Um, but why are they going to take, you know, why are they going to draft you in the first round? Why are they going to draft you in the second round? So just make yourself important. And that's what I tell them all. For sure. So how did you, so you had 10 years in the league, you're hanging up your cleats and it's time to transition post football. How did you decide to become an agent? Um, how did I decide that? Question. Um, so I had, I had four different agents as a player. So I, I, you know, I wasn't the model of consistency. Uh, and I had good agents, you know, Ray Anderson was my first agent and he's, he's the athletic director at Arizona state right now, but he, he sold his agency. I think I left him after my first year, but he ended up selling his agency. He went to work for the Falcons, became like a vice president. And then he went to work for Roger Goodell, like right under him. Um, very educated guy, smart guy. Um, and we're still cool. You know, he, he gave me recommendation as, as an agent to, to go to this company before. So um, I have really good agents. And so when I got done, I was working with one of my former teammates. And so my whole goal was to be in the media, which I was. I had a radio show. I called some games on ESPN, um, called some WVU games on ESPN. 
Um, but then I started working with players. And my, my goal was to help them with their philanthropy because that's what I was really known for in Cincinnati. I was always doing bowling for autism. I was doing things off the field. And at the time in Cincinnati, we had a lot of guys getting in trouble off the field. So people in town was looking at me like I was, you know, one of the good ones, so to speak. And that didn't, you know, that wasn't true. But um, so I'm like, you can enhance your value by doing a lot of good things off the field if you're really into it. So I was helping players that wanted to do it get involved with different organizations around the city. I think we still have uh, one of my clients, Frosty Rucker, my first client. I think he has the largest one-day donation to the Salvation Army. So we just came up with clever ideas to do a lot of good work. So I was doing that. And then my partner, Charles, kind of always wanted to be in the agent side. So we started working with guys. If they were changing agents, we were helping them find new agents. And I was partnering with those agents. You know, we would just split everything. I would handle them off the field. You know, the agent would do the contract. And so we were doing that. I was making good money. And I started working with some college guys the same way. I ran their process. And I did everything on up and up. I didn't, you know, I didn't consider myself a runner, you know, because I was putting my money into the mix the same way the agent was. And then when they changed the new CBA, they didn't allow the agents to partner with guys that weren't certified. So that's really why I had to get my license. And Rick Smith in Chicago, who was one of my mentors, really my mentor in this business, he was one of the few agents that wasn't afraid to work with me. Um, and he, he taught me the ropes that way on the agent side. And um, so I got my license and I, you know, I, I had my own company at that point because I had clients built in already. And then I went to Octagon. Uh, down in D.C. for about 20 months and then Rock Nation called and I've been there. So I would say for me, my whole purpose in getting into it was initially to help off the field. And then it just sort of morphed into, um, you know, being a full time agent, you know, because that that was the it's hard to work with players that are someone else's clients. So at some point, the agents wouldn't like me around. So um, I got my license and the rest of the history. Gotcha. Now, there are a lot of people that will hit me up just because of my influence and interaction with people in sports about wanting to get in to the sports field. Some of those people are interested in being an agent. Um, I am not a certified agent, um, but I know a lot of them. And so, you know, I share kind of my my perspectives and connect them with people. And so for those that might be listening to the show that are interested or considering a career as a sports agent, specifically in the NFL, because the certification is different depending on the sport. What advice would you give to someone who's considering that path? Well, listen, it's difficult, just like anything to start, right? It's difficult. And, and in this business, you're only as good as your, your clients. And you got to be able to either recruit them or, or service them, right? So, and, and even recruiting them, it's, it's difficult. You know, you got to have a great relationship with somebody that trusts you, or you got to be at a company that they trust. Right. The company has to have resources that allow you to go travel and allow you to do these things. You got to pay for pre-combine training and all, all this stuff that's involved. But at the end of the day, it's about relationships and players can do it by themselves if they want. You see every now and then there'll be some guys that do it by themselves. So somebody wanting to get into the business, I would just say, make sure you have the connections. You know, just because you have a license, it doesn't mean you're going to go out and recruit somebody and, and get them because you're going up against guys at these major companies that have resources to, you know, whatever you're doing, they can do it better and do it cheaper, you know, and almost buy you out of the mix, you know? So the relationships are huge. 
Because when I started, if the guys didn't trust me and include me in different things, I wouldn't be in the business. You know, the Geno Smiths, I was his manager. And John Baldwin's out of Pitt was the first rounder. I was his manager. Um, Isaiah Pede and, and all, all these guys that I worked with and even the guys from the Bengals, Frosty Rutgers and the, the Pat Sims and the Hugh Jackson. So I've represented Hugh Jackson. Like he allowed me to do that. So that kind of stuff, you know, all of my early clients, they trusted me. And that allowed me to build a track record to to be where I'm now. So anybody getting into it, I would say it's about your relationships and deal with the right people. You have a relationship with a star player. Every agency is going to want to talk to you and say, oh, we'll help you. But then, you know, once they get that player, they try to cut you out and things like that. So I, I never do things like that because people didn't do that to me. Um, but I always tell people, if you're trying to get into the business, make, make sure you got good relationships and because that's the only thing that's going to carry you. For sure. We talked about relationships earlier and throughout the show, and it's so important, no matter what you're doing, sports or not, but it's those relationships that, like you mentioned, will carry you, especially in sports. It's all about who you know and the relationships that you, you've built and the connections that you make. And so, I mean, I, I find a lot of people don't take the time to build relationships, and that's why they're not successful, especially in this business, which is highly competitive, as you know. Very competitive. You got people coming in and they throw money at a situation. You got people, you got companies coming in saying, hey, we're going to buy, buy these players up for three years just so we can have a client list. Now we, then we can go out and do it a normal way. So, you know, you just got to be, be aware of what's going on around you. But at the same time, at the end of the day, it's about knowing football, about building relationships and leading with good intentions. You know, that's, that's yes. going to carry you through because you can maybe do it a different way, maybe once or twice, but it's going to catch up to you, right? You, you, right? you can get lucky and land a player and you try to do it again. It doesn't work. Or you do this, you know, so next thing you know, you're out of business. So try to do everything the right way. Right. I like that. Doing things the right way with good intentions because people will see through if you don't have the right intentions. They'll see through it. it might, like to your point, you might get that one client or that first deal, but it's going to catch up with you for sure. It is. So John, what I want to do now is I want to run you through my two-minute drill and ask you some fun questions. Are you ready? Yes. All right. First question is, when you were 10 years old, what did you want to be when you grew up? Ooh, 10 years old. <laughs> That's a good one. You know, I think I wanted to be like a race car driver. I was really into like Dukes of Hazzard as a little kid. So okay, sports cars and things like that, even though I didn't, I never got into a sports car. I always wanted to do that. So probably be a race car driver. Gotcha. What three words would you use to describe yourself? I think I'm confident, uh, I'm patient, and, and I'm quiet. I would say those would be three good words. What is one thing most people don't know about you? I'm a homebody. I, I really don't like leaving home much other than to go to the gym. So with my busy schedule and traveling a lot, I'm always dying to get back home, you know, because of everything I've done in life is like, this is the most peaceful place. So um, I don't like to go out. I don't like to party or things like that. But, uh, you know, I find my way back home and that's where I'm most happy. Okay. If you had one intro song played at all of your public appearances, what would that song be? That's a good one. Intro song. I don't know. That's, that's You stumped me right there. I don't know. Uh, I'm not a big music guy, so I don't know if I would have an intro song. I go to baseball games and each player has, a, you know, I enjoy all of them. I don't know if I would have, so I'm not, okay. not a big music guy. What book are you currently reading or what podcast are you currently listening to? Outside of yours, obviously. Um, I would say the Joe Budden podcast is something I listen to regularly. Um, you know, it's music, it's, it's current events, um, and it's more my speed, you know. So I've, I've been listening to it for a few years now, and I probably listen to it. It comes out twice a week, so I listen to Joe Budden twice a week. Okay, nice. 
Now, the next question is, you're hosting a dinner party and you can invite three famous people, living or deceased. Who would you choose and why? Three famous people. I would invite Jay-Z, probably Barack Obama, just to hear about his experience in the White House. Famous people. Um, Well, they're not alive, but Martin Luther King or, or, or like Malcolm X, just to, just to hear about. I like to hear about different eras and, and things that people went through. So th- those would be my. Okay, good choices for sure. Last question is, do you sing in the shower? No, I'm a quick shower person. So I'm in okay. and out. Um, and, it, and it's weird. Like I, I listen to music when I work out and then that's it. Like other than that, I'm listening to sports or I'm like, you know, I just said podcasts we're talking about, but mm-hmm. I like music that way, but I'm like, that is it. Like, if I'm not in the gym, I don't have music on. So I probably wouldn't be, I probably have my my, my speaker on listening to a sports show from the shower. Okay. So as we look to end the show, where can people follow you? Where are you at on social media? Well, I'm on Twitter, at John Thornton, I think. I used to be very active on Twitter. I was one of the first people on it. And I remember having it and not using it my last year of playing. That's how early it was. It was like 2008. so I was really active. Now I'm not as active as much. That's where I get all my news. But Instagram, I'm on there. NFL, John Thornton, I believe. I mean, that's it. I mean, Facebook is just high school friends and neighborhood friends. So uh, probably more so Instagram is where I'm at. Okay, we'll have your Instagram and Twitter uh, in the show notes so people can keep up with you and follow you on your journey. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us today. It has been great having you on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. And again, I appreciate all the listeners. Oh, and I have to give a shout out to the Rock Nation sports team, Kim and Charles and Lauren, great people. And then obviously your client list, Lewis and Zamir, looking forward to them showing out. We've had a couple other Rock Nation guys on the show, Jay Armour Davis, who's my guy as a Bama guy, and then Brandon Smith. So looking forward to seeing all of them come in the season and appreciate the Rock Nation team for supporting and being a part of the Move the Ball movement. So love you all. And again, appreciate your time, John. Thanks so much for joining us. Anytime. Thanks for having me on. And thanks to everyone for listening. If you liked today's episode and you haven't yet subscribed to the show, make sure you hit that subscribe button and also share the show with a friend or two or three. Again, it's one way you can help me move the ball. Go check out the links in the show notes. Follow John on his journey. Check out my TikTok as well as the Move the Ball merchandise store. And we will talk to you on the next episode. Until then, make sure that you suit up, you show up, and you move the ball. Thank you for listening to Move the Ball. To see more about what I'm up to and how I can help you to move the ball in your business, with your brand, or your career, check out my website at www.getinsidethehuddle.com. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. And also join the Move the Ball Facebook group for even more content and to be a part of the Move the Ball movement.